0: Welcome
1: back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello. It's been a little bit. There's been a few breaks. There's been a few bumps and bruises along the road. Um, you, know, it's been, it, you know, it's been a crazy winter season here in Everton land. Uh, but we're here to catch you up on all of it. Get you all caught up as the international break is coming to a close here uh, this coming weekend. But first, I introduce uh, my co-host today, uh, Calvin. Calvin, how are you doing today?
2: Hey, Gino. Yeah, good to be back. It's been a while, I feel, since we've had an, uh, an episode. But yeah, so much has happened in that time. So yeah, lots to talk about.
1: Yeah, there is so much to talk about. There's been, uh, you know, again, there's so, so many things have happened since the last time we talked. Um, but we will get into all of it. Uh, we will get into the transfers. We actually have um, a conversation with Jazz Bal from the Everton Stakeholders Steering Group. Uh, that goes into detail about uh, some things that I think you as the fans would be interested to hear about. And, uh, of course, we will preview Brentford and Newcastle. Um, but first, we do have to talk about the, um, the big news, the, the news that I think broke after our last episode. Um, Everton manager, or former manager now, Rafa Benitez, sacked, um, by the, uh, by the club that was on January 16th. So a couple days after we recorded our last episode, um, since then, uh, there was a couple weeks of uncertainty. Duncan Ferguson took over as manager for the Aston Villa match, um, in which we lost one nothing. Um, and then, uh, you know, a sort of weird situation with Vito, Vito Pereira going on sky sports and doing an interview on sky sports and talking about his interviews with the club and, um, you know, Wayne Rooney, you know, saying he wasn't, you know, the, at the point where he wanted to accept the Everton job. So was, he did, he took himself out of consideration, a couple other names thrown around, but we come to a final decision. Um, a few days ago, I think last Friday or last Friday was when it was, an, um, you know, when it was announced that it was no. going to happen. And I think on Sunday it was officially announced by the club. Um, Frank Lampard, the new Everton manager, Um, let's just start here Calvin, initial impressions or thoughts uh, on Frank being appointed as the manager?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting obviously, you know, as as far as experienced managers go, Frank Lampard hasn't had too much experience, right? Um uh, pretty much after he stopped uh, playing, uh, he's uh, he's gotten his badges, obviously. And then he went to Derby County, um, lasted a short time there, went to Chelsea, um, where they're notoriously fickle about their managers. And that's something to say because Everton, I mean, he he basically, what, Lampard's our sixth manager in six years. So um, I, I guess we shouldn't be pointing the fingers at other teams either. But again, it was an interesting choice, right? uh it, it was clearly at this point Moshiri um, has, has tried the experienced route, right, uh, with Carlo and with Rafa, and uh, it hasn't quite worked out. And he's tried the route with the younger, innovative kind of managers with, uh, you know, Marco Silva, with, uh, well, he, he didn't appoint Martinez, but, yeah, you know, uh, Roberto was here during his time, uh, first manager he sacked. And then you had the Ronald Koeman in between, obviously legendary player in his own right, not that much coaching experience at that time. Um, and it's funny, uh, pretty much every manager we've sacked has somehow failed upwards and gone to bigger and better things in some some respects, So I, I don't know, it's interesting. I, I think Frank Lampard is an interesting choice. Uh, uh, I think I did quite enjoy watching the his Chelsea play when he was managing them. They seemed... Uh, they seemed seen the very attacking, innovative kind of side. Um, it looked like it kind of all went off the tracks for him at Chelsea once the transfer ban got lifted, and then suddenly he had a huge squad of 30 players that he had to manage, and it sounds like there was quite a few egos in that dressing room as well. So, so I, I don't know what to make of it, right? Again, I think he's got the right ideas. I think he's got the right attitude um he's you know being a younger guy i think he's very relatable to a lot of the everton players so i think from that perspective this this could go well um again i it, from 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 the last few weeks of the benitez era right between the folks uh, you know we invite to speak on rbm and some of our, our analysis we have done on games right it feels like it wasn't that difficult to change things around. And what eventually got Rafa fired was his stubbornness and, you know, refusal to change things, even when the writing was on the wall. And so I think if Lampard's learned anything, it's got to be, you got to continue to be flexible. You got to continue to change things when they look like they're not working. So I think as long as he does that, um, you know, I think the first priority, get us out of this relegation scrap. Um, that shouldn't be that difficult. I really do think we've got enough quality in the side, even before the transfer window, at least deadline day, um, to, 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 to not be where we are on the table.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, when the, the, the search first started and the names started flowing out, I mean, I think there was a first a short list of about six names and including anywhere from Nico Kovac to, um, you know, yeah. Peter Pereira to Bobby Martinez again, um and you know Lampard and Rooney were on that list as well and for me those were two names that I I I really liked off the top just because both of them have worked with the youth and have have worked with younger players um which I think is important because again we've talked so much about how some of the younger players in recent years haven't really gotten an opportunity to play um and an opportunity to show themselves and we need that pipeline from the academy towards the first team um, on top of transfers. You know, it's, it's just, uh, you know, another way to bring players into the club and, and bring talent into the club. So I like that. Yeah. Um, I liked his ability to um, work within the transfer embargo that he had at Chelsea um, because, again, we were kind of strapped for cash here as well. Um, and, you know, right. again, we'll talk about this, but thanks to some very, I thought, savvy moves by the club, we, we managed to make <laughs> yeah. some moves, which I thought were, were pretty cool. Um, but I, I, just, I like him as a manager. I think he, I like, I think he has a point to prove after leaving Chelsea. Um, again, the Chelsea situation over there, you have to, I feel like Chelsea is an extremely difficult club to manage, especially for an extended period of time It is because it, you know, they have not only their first team squad, but they have 75 players out on loan that he has to worry about whether you know yep. when those players come back in you know whether those you know there's it's such a big club in terms of players that um and then never mind the fact that your owner is has the you know the shortest leash uh, you know of any you know any, <laughs> ever, any right. owner ever it feels like so um you know it, it, it's not an easy place to coach and and again we're we're starting to see even now with with tokel with Tuchel, um, you know, how he's struggling yeah. a little bit yeah, that exactly. squad and the pieces that he's been given. So, um, you right. know, it's not an easy place to coach, but um, I think, you know, hopefully Frank has learned some of the mis- you know, mistakes he made over there because, you know, it is ju- isn't just, you know, the owner or parts of the club, you know, I'm sure, he, you know, he made mistakes as well. And hopefully he's learned from them. And, and it seems now that he's, you know, we've, we've heard a bunch of announcements. He's keeping Ferguson on. Uh, he's bringing in, of course, Ashley Cole officially today. Um, Leighton Baines yeah. will stay so I mean it seems like he's surrounding himself with good people also which I think is is a good um, you know is a good thing so um, you know it, it seems like he has a plan and it seems like thankfully that was part of the interview process because of how short the window was right. going to be after hiring a manager but um, you know we you know everything for so far has been very impressive but we haven't seen the product on the pitch yet so that's the most important exactly. thing. Exactly. Um I guess we'll see. Um you know any concerns over Lampard anything else you want to mention on Lampard that um you know really sticks out to you or um you know maybe a pl- players that could benefit from his his uh management. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so so I think a couple of thoughts. So as far as concerns, right? I I think the, the concerns are are not nothing groundbreaking, right? Um uh, it, it, obviously, the, the lack of experience is, uh, to me, it's always a bit of a concern. Um, I, I think one of the things or one of the issues he had at that Chelsea side just before he got sacked was that I, I don't know if he had that defense sorted out, right? and And that was part of the problem is they were they were great attacking, but when they were playing against teams that had the same kind of attacking ability or better than them, um, he didn't know how to set up defensively. And um again, I don't know how much of that is experience. Um certainly it wasn't the players he had because Tuchel came in and immediately the defense is locked up. I think for, for for a long period of that time, Chelsea's defense was one of the best in the league. And that's that's something when, when you are in the same league as City and Liverpool as well, right? So um, clearly there's a gap there. I, I do wonder if having, uh, you know, some of the experience that he's got in his coaching staff now uh, between Paul Clement and now even Ashley Cole joining, maybe that's that's part of that effort there to, shore things up defensively um it, it is a concern because quality wise the everton defense is no great shakes right uh yeremina gets hurt and suddenly we've got four unreliable defenders lining up back there and and things are very scary so a uh, little concerned about that um we still pretty much have half the season to go right so we got to play just about everyone uh you know one more time so it, it, it could be interesting. Let, let, let's let see how he sets up his defense starting this weekend against Brentford. That's a team that's going to threaten us in the air, uh, set pieces and things like that. Um, interestingly, I do remember Lampard, uh, he had to change his uh, zonal marking system at at set pieces because he was starting to ship a lot of goals when he was at Chelsea and he switched to a bit of a hybrid man zone system. So, again wonder what which one of the two systems he's going to set up with here um clearly uh whatever set piece defending uh, rafa was doing was not working because that was our key way to give up goals mm-hmm. um so th- i think as far as concerns i think that would be it right the, the, can he shore up the defense right um mm-hmm. and then i think as far as players who will benefit right i, I think all the attacking players are going to benefit I, I think the guys who who move well? Uh, you know, I'm thinking the the gray, the garden. Um, you know what? He might again. He might still make something out of Iwobi as well, right? Seems like the kind of guy that uh, Iwobi would have modeled his game on. So um, I, I I don't even know if Iwobi sees the pitch anymore now with with uh, Donny Van der Beek and Dele Alli here, right? Uh, so. Um, and then obviously the two guys that he's brought in, right? I, I think there was very specific targets that he looked for, and if you look at it, they have a lot of common characteristics with Frank Lampard, the player. So I think that's that was his goal, right? It was how does he make his mark on this team? And he wanted to bring in players that had a lot of the same things that he did. So I, I think the, the I, I definitely think the like I said, the Graves, the Gordons, the uh, maybe even Richardson. I think they should really benefit from having Lampard. Uh, coaching him,
1: yeah, I think so. I, you know, one of the things that he said in his first press conference today was that he wants the players to have the ability to express themselves and 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 express themselves yeah. on the pitch and be themselves and and I think that will create a much more crea- allow for some creativity and expansiveness and attack with that. I think will um, will be really good for Everton. But again, as we as we mentioned and as we mentioned almost every podcast, I don't think the attack was really the issue. It was really the defense um you know. getting goals was something that you know we were still pretty decent under uh, decent at under Rafa Benitez it was right. giving up the goals so for me you know if we keep a clean sheet in the first half I mean that's already an improvement considering we can't <laughs> figure out how to not give up a goal uh, in the first half so um but it is there are things to work you know work out there but you know the addition of Ashley Cole is going to certainly help with you know, having Leighton Baines and Ashley Cole helping Michael Lanko and Patterson on the outsides, Coleman helping Patterson on the right side there, you know, those are, those are some pretty good people to learn from. So, um, there's not many right. better than them. So, uh, that'll definitely help. Um, but I, you know, I think, um, you know, I think there's still things that need to be done with the club, but I think that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll you know, I think the defense might take a step up. I, I you know, I think they could benefit maybe from yeah. some new voices and whatnot.
2: You know, I think it was an interesting conversation I think a bunch of us had on the Slack channel, right? The RBN Slack channel was, you know, I, I, with with both Dele Ali and Donny Beek coming in, right? And both are known for um, being possession kind players, right? These are the guys who want the ball, right? Um, they, you know, just like when you see Gray and Richarlison and uh, Gordon on the pitch, right? They, they show up for the ball and then they give you that outlet. And, and so I think, the, I think the thinking here might be, we obviously have horrendous possession numbers until this point in the season. I think we're third worst in the league as far as possession goes. So I, I think, like, Lampard might be thinking that by increasing our possession, we actually play better defense, right? Because then you're not, again, you're not under the gun all the time, right? So if you're controlling the ball, that means the other side's not attacking you, right? So, that, that might be part of it. I, I think relieving the pressure on the defense by maintaining possession, I, I think that's actually going to be a huge factor as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think also, you know, we don't have, before bringing in Van de Beek and Al. Like we didn't really have a player who really controlled the possession in the middle of the pitch that well. I mean, Gomez was, su- right. was supposed to be that type of player, but he's just too slow in some facets of the game. He's just, he's just not what he was at at one point in his career and really it's right. like there was you know uh, never mind the fact that we only had a two-man midfield it was hard to keep possession in the two-man midfield with the two players du- ducore and allen are good at exactly. things but keeping possession and and advancing the ball forward are not one of those things that they're right. particularly studs at so um bringing in right. those types of players could certainly help as well and <laughs> Um, you're right. I think, you know, not having to soak up pressure 95% of the game is certainly <laughs> going to keep them at least a little bit more fresh on the pitch and, right. you know, it will give them the opportunity to, you know, have a little bit of a breather, um, and, and, you know, maybe turn off that defensive mindset for, for a short second instead mindset. of, yeah, you know, yeah. give themselves a break. So, um, you know, I, I think it, it definitely could, you know, it definitely, um, you know, that could definitely benefit, benefit them. But um, let's talk about, let's move into the transfer section. Part of things we've, you know, we've mentioned yeah. Frank and, and what he's done really in this short period of time, bringing in Ashley Cole, bringing in Paul Clement, you know, rounding out his staff, but then also and really, once he officially became manager of the club, just 24 hours, um, managed to bring yeah. in a couple of very solid additions to the club, so let's talk about the transfer window as a whole. We've already talked about a few of these already, but we'll just go over them in general. Um, obviously, uh, Vitali uh, Michalenko uh, was brought in at the beginning of the window, along with Nathan Patterson, um, both the young outside backs that were were, were purchased, um, and El was the last purchase before, or last, uh, well, last move before Rafa was um, was sacked. Uh, he was a loan that was loaned in uh, back in mid-January. Um, and then really in the last few days, uh, Ellis Sims officially out on loan uh, to Hearts. And he's yep. it's like, he's off to a hot start there, which is great. And we'll hot talk about there, what that yeah. means, means for him. Um, and then, uh, you know, Lewis Warrington out on loan to Tranmere. Um, and then the three ins on transfer deadline day, Billy Crullin, uh he was permanently transferred in. Uh, I believe a U twenty one goalkeeper is what. Were U twenty English goalkeeper is what we were saying in the chat. Um, and then Donny yeah. Van de Beek and Deli Ali, of course, the two big ones. Van de Beek on loan, but Deli Ali, as I mentioned, one of those savvy moves that the club were able to man- manage, um, where a free transfer. What is it? <laughs> Ten million after twenty appearances. Twenty million 20, after 20, 20. eighty or forty million. Thirty million after eighty appearances, or something like that. Um, so yeah. I mean, and and just for reference, we only have 18 games left, and Deli Ali is cup tied for the entirety of all the competitions that we are remaining in, which is I think just the FA Cup at this point. Right. Um, so he can't play any more than 18 games. So we just got Deli Ali yep. permanently for free um this season, and then the financial calendar, as we confirmed as well, ends when the season ends yeah. in June, or the, the season calendar ends in June. So that money won't be processed until, you know, later on. Like and again, Cena, as yeah. we, as we said, listen, if he's playing well enough that we have to pay 40 million euros for him at the end, that's fine. That means he's playing really well. and everything. Exactly. So um, just some yeah. really good business by the club throughout this window. I mean, it, it, obviously the Luca Luca Dean situation is not what you would have liked selling Dean, three days before they ended up sacking Rafa it was, you know, yeah. obviously hurts a little bit because you would think that when Frank came in, he wouldn't have sold him, but um, it does bring in probably, it probably generates the money to bring in the two younger left and right backs that we brought in. Um, and then, yeah. you know, basically didn't spend a penny other than that on any of the other transfers we brought in, um, which was was um, very impressive by the club. But let's we've talked about the, the right back and we talked about Patterson, we talked about Michaelanko, we talked about the Dean situation, we've talked about El Ghazi. Let's talk about the situations that have just been presented to us in the past, you know, week or so. Um, let's talk about Ellis Sims first and, and him going out and then we'll move into the Sure. What does this mean for Sims to be able to go out there and, and get alone and, and prove himself again at, at a you know another level?
2: Yeah. So obviously coming back from injury, right, there was always some concerns of, you know, is, is he going to come back the same player or not, right? I think that that's a concern for any sport, for any sportsman, sportswoman, right? Um, and, and I think the early signs that we saw from Sims was that, yeah, the, the long-term injury did not seem to have affected his game. Um, I, I think he still has like bucket loads of potential. Um, I, I think he's, uh, he's growing. He's learning. Um, I I think from a competition level, I I, I would have really liked to have seen him go to a championship level side. I think that's just like one tier below the premier league. Um, I I, I fear if you go to Scotland and you're not at Celtic or Rangers, then you're probably not, not that championship level. You're probably another level below that. Um, So I think from that side, that that perspective, I, I think this, it's probably not ideal, but it's half a season. Um, I think where it's going to really pay off is if he can go to. I mean, he's gone to hard already, right? But if he if he can actually dominate, right? When if if he can play at a dominant level, and and get a bucket load of goals, right, and just build that confidence, then 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 he kind of skips that whole championship level, and now he's contending to be a, a, a another starter but at least a core squad player in the Everton team next season, right? So I think from a confidence perspective, I think this should go well, right? Um, he's already bagged the goal. Uh, I, I think he was one of the better players uh, in, the, in the Dundee uh, derby this weekend. Uh, so I, I think it's looking really good for him. Uh, I, I think he'd only, he only gets better from here, yeah?
1: Yeah, I think it's really good for him. Uh, he, you know, if he wasn't going to get played... He needed to go out on loan. Like, he cannot be sitting on the Everton bench every week and not getting any minutes and playing for the U23s. That's doing nothing for him. So if he wasn't going to get that, he's got to go somewhere. So, yes, I mean, was it the best best move for him? Probably not. A championship move probably would have been better for him. But it does get him playing time. He seems to be off to a hot start. So I think it's really good for him and another good thing for his confidence. Um, And, you know, again, it gives the new manager, you know, again, this is a situation where – Frank Lampard, in my opinion, it, it helps because he, he he knows what it's like to work with young players. He's brought up young players. We've seen right. what he's done with Mount and 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 you know the, some of the other players on that team. I mean, I think he brought in. I think I think Hudson Adoy was was phenomenal while he was um, a manager there. And yeah, that's good. Like we need that because there's no point in having a a U23s or a U youth, youth academy if you're not going to be able yeah. to transition at least some of those players, you're not, not every player is going to make it, but some of those players have to at least either get into the first team or sell for big money out of the, out of the Academy. So, um, you know, yeah. I think it's a good thing for Ellis Sims. And and I think having Lampard as the manager and if things continue, if things work out well, uh, he comes back, it could be a real boost for his career. Um, but let's talk now okay. about the ends. Uh, Billy Crawlin, we won't get into too much. He won't, be really featuring at all in the Everton first team, um, but we have to yeah. talk about Donny Van de Beek and Deli Ali. We've talked a little bit about it already. Um, let's start with Van de Beek. He's the he's loaned in for Manchester United. Everton kind of last minute eleventh hour swoop away from from Crystal Palace and turned out to be yeah. you know a, you know um, turned out to work out uh, for once in our favor as opposed to us getting swooped <laughs> right. underneath and taken. Um, so. <laughs> Um, he comes from Manchester United, um, obviously played at Ajax before that, hasn't seen much time at Manchester United, really not much playing time at all, not even a, really much of a chance to even yeah. prove himself really since he's, he's been at the club. Um, your opinions on Van de Beek and what he can bring to Everton?
2: Yeah, uh, I, I'm pretty excited about Van de Beek. I, I think I was pretty excited uh, when we were linked with him in the summer for, for a loan move. And it sounds like uh, it was his countryman, Marcel Brands, who had, you know, kind of led the conversation there and trying to steal him away. Um, you know, long story short, United, uh, uh, you know, Solskjaer didn't want, want him to go. So he put the kibosh on that move, didn't end up happening um, but United now, you know, are trying to clean their own uh, house there, and they let him leave on loan, which is, is unfortunate, unfor- because especially with the with no loan to buy clause, because yeah. um, you know the Donny Van Der Beek that kind of hit the peak is ironically the same time when I think Del Ali was at the best of his powers as well right when the two teams played in the yeah. Champions League semifinal and they actually went up against each other and I would say there were two of the best players on the pitch at, you know for, for both games there so it, it is interesting Van Der Beek at, at his best um, is, is is Frank Lampard 2.0 right he, he's a solid midfielder uh, he's he can he can hold the ball he can control the ball he can bring his uh, his teammates into play um he can find that pass uh you know in 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 the in the spaces of above and you know i think his most uh, endearing quality there is he loves the late arrival in the box um and you know for for a team like everton that depends on crossing from the wings as much as we do um having that extra body in the box there is going to be critical right it's not just critical it's going to be game changing right Because how often do we see a cross comes into the box and uh, either Calvert-Lewin wins the header and, you know, he tries to lay it off for Richarlison who's got three people around him. And if for any reason Dokere was not the man leading that break, then he hasn't made it into the box. And it's, you know, the danger is is, is easily cleared. Um, So having that Van Der Beek type character who makes that late run into the box, again, I I think it's going to be a game changer for us. Um, if he can replicate that form from a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah. I mean, when he was at Ajax, he was phenomenal. That Ajax team was unbelievable. And amazing. he was really, yeah. he was at the center of all of the things that happened at that Ajax. Absolutely. At, yeah. At uh, that Ajax team. So, um, you know, I remember watching him and just like being like, wow, like he's going to be a star. One yeah. Day. It's amazing. Right? And then yeah. he goes to Manchester United and really doesn't get too much of an opportunity to really prove himself. He disappeared in their system. Um, yeah. Just kind of, just kind of disappeared. And, I think, you know, again, it's it's just having that guy in the middle of, you know, I know you say we, we play from the wings a lot, but having the option in the middle, a guy who can take the ball in the middle and say, okay, if, you know, say Richarlison's up, you know, playing alongside Dominic Calvert-Lewin, right. in a you know, a two-striker front or whatever, um, having a guy who can pick the ball out down the middle of the pitch and a guy who's making that run or pick a guy out on the wing from, you know, the halfway line and a guy who's making a run, to open up – play him into space so that he can run onto the ball and then cross it in the middle for Calvert-Lewin. Having that option, we don't really have a quality passer on the team, like a quality like, right. player who can pick out those passes in the center of the pitch. Really? I mean, Andre, again, Andre Gomez was supposed to be that guy, but ever since the injury hasn't really looked anywhere near that person and hasn't, you know, he's had his moments, yeah. but hasn't been able to put a full 90 minutes together. Um So having that ability is you know having someone with that ability is going to be you know kind of a deep line playmaker a guy who can make those runs into the box um you know can yeah. be very very helpful and very very good so I think um if he can get back to his form and again, like you said, it is a shame that we don't have a loan with an option to buy because you know ideally you want Donny van to be come in here and be uh you know a world beater and uh you know go right. and, you know and 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 perform for everton and hopefully we you know spend money on him in the summer. But um, either way, I think right now you have to think about what the next six months are and what, what the next, you know, how, what the end of the season is going to look like. And, you know, while it right. may not end in a, you know, a purchase of Donnie Beek if he plays extremely well, um, you know, I think you you, you got to want the best for the club and you got to want him to play as best as he possibly can right. play. And, um, you know, and listen, it's not unreasonable that Donnie Beek could be, a permanent transfer in the in the summer window. I mean, listen, Lukaku came on loan, and you know was dominant on loan for us, and we purchased him next summer. So, right. um, you know, yeah. it's not impossible, but it does make things, I guess, a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more difficult. But I, I, again, Donnie Van de Beek, more of a, you know, for me, I think that that quality of passing will be will be phenomenal. But Deli Ali is the yeah. other one. Again, tremendous business, I think, just such savvy business on the club's part to get this done. Um, your thoughts on Deli coming into the club, where he's been in the past, where he was at this point in his career, and what he can bring moving forward. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think for, for Deli Alli, right? And, and, and I think the same kind of goes for Van Beek, just because they hit that high, you know, a few years ago, right? And since then, they've kind of, both hit upon, you know, harder times, right? So they're, they're both hungry. They both have a point to prove. Um, for, for Dele Ali, I think in, in, in particular, right? And we, we've, we've had a lot of conversations with our fellow SB Nation blog, uh, the Spurs guys at, at Cartilage Free Captain. Uh, you know, they, they obviously absolutely love him, right? Um, they're, they they're torn that he left. Um, I, I want to say the, the relationship they have with Dele is, is not unlike the relationship uh, Evertonians have had with, uh, you know, Wayne Rooney and, uh, you know, to some extent Ross Barkley, right? Kind of one of us that, that, that's grown up in the club, grown up in the not necessarily in the system, uh, but at least grown up at the club and has been a figurehead for the club. Um, believe it or not, like two or three years ago, right? El Ali was the most valuable player on Spurs, more than Harry Kane and and more than Son, right? So, um, th- th- there is a player there. Um, it does feel like uh, successive managers, um, you know, players like Mourinho kind of sucks the joy of the game out of of him. Um, But I I think the the words I keep coming back to is, uh, you know, Dustin, who leads the blog at uh, Cartilage Free, I think he described Dele Alli as, I think he used two terms. He called him, he called him the maverick and the wild card, right? And And I think that's exactly who Dele Alli is, right? He's, He's the guy who can create something out of nothing, right? So, and and Everton is sorely lacking in that, right? We don't have that creative spark, right? We are a very functional point A to point B team. And even with Van de Beek, right, he is only as effective as the players around him. Um, to some extent, that might be the same for Dele Alli as well, right? Um, you can create all you like, but if no one's making those runs, then what are you going to do? You can't take on an entire defense on your own, right? Um, so there, I think that he, he might, I think he will actually raise the level of the players around him, but he can also make magic happen, right? He's got a great shot. He can shoot from outside the box. Um, I don't think he can say too many players that Everton can shoot outside the, from outside the box apart from maybe Demari Gray, right? So, oh, Townsend. I mean, they can't, can't miss Townsend there, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I think Delali, I think he's going to be that guy. Same thing, right? He, he makes a lot of those late runs into the box. Um, I, I think he's a pretty effective finisher. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it's interesting. He's a very similar player to Donny van der Beek. Uh, and, and I, and I think, uh, Frank Lampard's is going to have an interesting, um, sort of headache on his hands when Dokure comes back, right? Because now you've got Alan Dokure, Van de Beek, and Dalali, you have four players for what might be three positions when we play a four-three-three, right? So how he uses them could be very interesting as well. So I'm, not, I'm curious, I, I really think Delali has all the, he has all the tools to succeed um, and all the early conversations in his interview sounds like he's got the hunger as well. And then, so when you have the, the skills, the abilities, the hunger, and you're put in a position to succeed, like Frank Lampard said, he's trying to create an environment where he brings the best out of everyone. I, this has got to go well, I, I feel.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think he's, you know, I, I don't, I, I think things got a little stale at Tottenham and I think he, he kind of needed to move away yeah. some different, a different scene, a different, you know, different voices, um just different yeah. players around him. And he just needed just to be away from Tottenham. I think, I think he had kind of run his course at Tottenham and, and maybe got a little too comfortable there. And now he's got to move now where yeah. things are a little bit different. And now he has to make a name for himself again. And I think that hunger is like you said, I think that hunger is great. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think he can bring some quality to the pitch and, and you know, if you do play, you know, again, we talk about Donnie Vandebeek. If you do play, Deli Ali in sort of a 10 roll right behind or right off of Dominic Calver-Lewin, he can make those runs too. And Dominic Calver-Lewin right. defenders and he makes runs in behind. So I think they can work really well together. I think Delhi still has a lot left in the tank. I think we, I think we can still get the best out of him. And I think he, he wants to succeed. Um, and I think he, he realizes maybe that he needed a move away from Tottenham. Um, and now, you know, yeah. he's got an opportunity at Everton under a manager that, he seems to have a relationship with that he can succeed and, and improve and, you know, grow. Um, so I, yeah. I think that this is going to be, um, I think this is going to be a good move. I mean, it's a, it's a, again, it's a low risk, high reward move, kind of what has been exactly. the, the last two transfer windows for Everton, um, which listen, I mean, there's a lot of things obviously that have been said about the board and about uh, Rafa Benitez and whatever, but, And with this financial situation that we've had over the last two windows to be able to get in the quality of player that we've gotten in over the last two windows and been able to get in the youth that we've been in over the last two windows, these are the type of transfers that we need to be making and taking advantage of. I mean, listen, there was really like, there was, there's no risk really in, in almost all of these transfers. I mean, listen, if Patterson and Michael don't work out, it's not like we spent 50 million pounds on any of them, you know, you know, if, right. If they didn't work out. They don't work out. You know, if, if Dele Alli doesn't work out, we didn't pay any money for him. If Donny Vanderbeek doesn't, yeah. doesn't work out, he goes back to Manchester um, United. Belgazi guys, he doesn't work out. He goes back to, you know, he goes back Villa, to Aston yep. Villa. And if he does, we only pay 10 million you know, pounds for him. So these are all very good moves by the club. Very savvy moves, moves that, you know, you, you don't need to make a big splash in the transfer window money-wise, to make good moves for the club. And I think yeah. that the last two transfer windows have been that. Um, the question I want to bring up to you is, and, and the question that was brought up in the group chat is, um, in the Slack group, is, you know, Deli Ali and, and and Donny Vanderbeek both play that central midfielder role and both are kind of attacking. How do both of them fit into the team at the same time? Do you see that happening? What's, you know, will this yeah.
2: work? Yeah, I I, I I think it can work, right? I I, I think at some point um, we're either going to go to a four three three or a four two three one, and and in both those situations, right, you have it's not ideal because you know in both both of those formations you're going to have Alan as your deep lying midfielder, um, sort of defensive midfielder, which is not great, but you know uh, you can understand why everyone got so excited when they were. There's a rumor that Ghana Gay was going to come back in this January transfer window. That would be incredible, right? Uh, but e- either way, right, we still need a central defensive midfielder. Um, Alan is, I think, effective enough in a in a, in a stop gap situation. Um, in fact, I think having Van Der Beek in that midfield with Alan, I think it'll help because a lot of times Alan was forced to take the ball and go upfield because he didn't have an outlet, right? Mm-hmm. So with Van de Beek providing that outlet for him, the, the Alain doesn't have to take that initiative, right? And so if Alain doesn't have to go too far past the center circle, then he doesn't have all that ground to cover to come back again. So I, I, again, I, I think just by possessing the ball more and in a better manner, and, and having more creative outlets on the team, I think overall, Alan and the defense also gets better. Um, so, I, I, yeah, absolutely. I think they both they both belong in the pitch. I think they both make the pitch, especially while Do is out. I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, if we switch to a 4-2-3-1 system, um, it, it gets a little interesting because uh, I think Gray has to start, and I think Richie has to start out wide. Um, and then so then, you know, is Gordon only like a 60th minute substitute, you know, comes on and fresh legs, you know, tired defenses, fresh legs. Uh, that situation, um, if Dom is out injured, um, which he is, it appears now, but doesn't seem to be anything major. In that case, then Richardson goes up top and Gordon and Gray start out wide. And uh, so I think I think we're covered on the short term, you know, even with some of the injuries we've got. But yeah, we've got to get both of them on the pitch and playing as soon as possible. Not going to happen this weekend. Unfortunately, they're both cup-tied. But um, yeah, uh, starting, was it Tuesday against Newcastle? I'd say, yep, they, they both got to go straight in the lineup.
1: Yeah, again, you know, being cup-tied, we will not see them this weekend against Brentford. But uh, their first match would be against Newcastle. Um, if they, you know, um, were ready to go, and 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 Lampard felt they were ready to go right in, um, you know, just looking at the squad, I mean, we we talk a lot about these, you know, these different situations, right? And okay, we have Donny van de Beek and Deli Ali, you know, we have Richie, we have Tamari Gray, we have Anthony Gordon, we have Andrews Townsend, and all these players that all need to fit in, and Abdullah Decore when he gets back healthy, it's not the worst thing to have. It's not the worst thing to have. I mean, you, this is really, I mean, we have depth at the center midfield position. I mean right now we have four center midfielders who are unavailable to us and or hurt that it does include Guilfi Sigurdsson on who's on the club website. Um, but other than him, you have Fabian Delph, Tom Davies, Abdullah Decore, who are out all for a significant amount of time. Um, but still you can have Allen, you can have Andre Gomez, you have JPG, you have Donny Vandermeek and you have Deli Ali. So it does yeah. give you some depth yeah. there still, um, you know, the forwards role having, Richie, Damari Gray, Andros Townsend, and Anthony Gordon, El um, Elgazi—players uh, uh, who can play out wide—that's not the worst thing in the world. Like that's a good thing to have. Mm-hmm. No. Um, right. rotation and yep. competition for positions is great. And you know, in defense, we are a little lighter in that aspect. You know, obviously the left back situation is is a little bit difficult right now. But um, you know, it, there's there's depth forming at the club and competition for spots, which is great. Um, in terms of that center yeah. midfield. I mean, I don't see why. You know, I I feel like if Allen, you just told Allen to sit back and play that central defensive midfielder role and just kind of sweep back and forth, cover sideline to sideline. I feel like he's the type of player who could do that with you know the cover behind, if he has if the cover behind him is is solid enough. I, I think he's a player who can do that. Obviously, you're you're able to do that as well if you play three men in the midfield as opposed to two. You know, and leaving all, right. all by himself to cover the center of the pitch. So. Um, again, we don't know what, what Frank will play. Um, but I think that honestly, in my opinion, based on what we have, I, I would feel like a four, two, three, one suits our quality the best. Yes. It may sit Gordon yeah. on the bench for till the 60th minute, some games. Um, it, or it may sit Damari Gray, Gray on the bench mm-hmm. or Richard or, or, you know, it, it may sit somebody on the bench that you don't want to see on the bench for, you know, but that's, that's good. That's okay. You, you know, having somebody. Yeah. For how long have we said we don't have anybody on the bench that can really make a difference when coming on? Well, yeah. in that situation you got Andrew Townsend and and, and Anthony Gordon um, and El Ghazi if you start Richie and, and Gray and on Elghazi the other side. Well. So those are three right. players who can make a difference there. You have, you know, JPG and Andre Gomez who can come on if needed to spell somebody. Um, when DeCorey gets back, if he doesn't start, then you'll have him, you know, there's options and that's like, yeah, that's I think one of the, the, the you know, most important things to remember about this is having options is not a bad thing.
2: Yeah. I, again, that's always been the knock against teams like, like Everton, right? Has been that at a, when, when everyone's fit and everyone's in form, our starting lineup is, is killer, right? I mean, I think we can play anyone on any given day, right? And, and probably beat them. The challenge becomes when we get a couple of injuries, a couple of guys are out of form, some guys are carrying nicks and, you know, they're not really at 100%. And all of a sudden, we're just just another team. And that's kind of behind why we have fallen as far down the table as we have. So, um, you know, having about 15, I want to say, like Premier League quality players, that's not a bad thing at all. And, And I think one of the underrated things, I know you just touched on it as well, is when you look at the five guys we brought in, right, over the January window, the oldest of them is 25. Yeah. That's, that, that's something, right? That, that is exactly an issue we've been struggling with at this club for a long time, right? And, and again, Alan and Dokure, they were never long-term fixes, right? They, you know, Carlo brought them in to stabilize the squad. And again, had he still been around for longer, we probably would have gone out and gotten younger midfielders um to start spelling those two guys right but they're they're on the wrong side of 25 26 which at this point is is, is given knowledge that that is when players are at their absolute performance peak right yeah. so if, if the oldest player we've brought in is 25 I, that's not a bad thing at all i i, I think we're we're reducing the average age of the squad we're improving the quality and depth of the squad so, uh, again, whoever's running this, the, the show behind the scenes, I don't know. It seems like it's a hodgepodge of a bunch of people. But it looks good. I think these are two strong windows we've had so far. And I, I think another couple of windows of this nature. And now we're a younger squad that has a lot more quality. And, and, again, we can start getting back to what we have wanted all along is you know contending for Europe.
1: Yeah, and, and, and just... Um... El Ghazi is 26. Not that it makes the point any different, but still 26 years old at at that point is, you know, it's still, you're still in a, but it's still, if our oldest player is 26 years old that we brought in, again, that's a good thing to have for the club, like you mentioned. Um, It's just, uh, you know, it's, we need to have more of that youth and more of that, um, you know, more of that type of, of talent in our, in our club. So, um, yeah. you know, I think we've spent a lot of time on the loan on the transfers and, and, and all that. So, you know, let's take a quick break here. We are going to bring on, um, as I mentioned, jazz Bal Calvin had a conversation with him earlier this week, um, about he, again, he is the, uh, chairman of the Everton stakeholders steering group. I believe uh, you said, Alvin, or Calvin, that's correct. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he's he's actually leading the Everton Fans forum, but yeah, he's also leading the the whole ESSSG, and and, and this was the initiative that um, the fans forum and and a bunch of other fan groups uh, took, mm. which was actually in response to this whole Super League breakout that happened with the six clubs. Uh, you know what was it, a few months ago now, and and basically what they wanted to do was they wanted to talk to the club's leadership about the future of football, right, and and the future of football at Everton and you know i think it it they 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 basically talked about and one of the big big news that came out during uh last week was while all this was going on with the manager is that the club announced that they would be forming a fan advisory board right by the end of this season and uh so you know Giles came on and you know talked to us a little bit about what that means uh, so um definitely um it, this is is a great conversation um it, it's you know, as a fan, you're gonna, you're gonna have to ask whether you're a, you know, a match going fan or you're an Everton fan, the thousands of miles away, what does this mean to you? And uh, Jazz was, uh, was very good to, to tell us a little more about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A great conversation. So we're gonna get right to that right now. And then um, we'll come back with that right after this break.
0: Okay, and now we are joined with Jazz Bal, and I'm going to let him introduce himself and uh, you know a lot of the great work that he's been doing, uh, along with a number of other people. Uh, so yeah, go ahead, Jazz. Uh, nice to have you on the podcast.
3: Cheers. Yeah. So um, as I just said, I'm Jazz. Um, I've been part of the Medicine um, Fund Forum for about three years now, and I've been chair of it for about um, the last two years. Um, probably not the, the the best time to do it because that was sort of coincide with the start of COVID and, and whatever, but. Do you know what it's? Um, it's it's it, in a sense it's um, it's a group of volunteers who give up our time to try and make the, the whole fan experience better for Everton. Um, in terms of the fans' forum, and um, we'll sort of traditionally deal with the fan engagement team. So the uh, fan engagement manager is Christine Pryor, and then it's it's sort of her team in the background. Um, however, every now and again, um, there's a requirement to sort of escalate issues, and when we have our monthly meetings, we're, we're, there's generally head of ticket in there. Head of Communications. Um, so, depending on what the agenda is for the meeting, that um, they'll stick a head of the department on who, who is part of the Everton leadership team as well. Um, Very good. One, once every year or so, then um, there's, um, it's, it's traditionally Denise will, will attend one of our meetings, so we, we, we do get the voice right to the top. Um, and, and I suppose, in my guise as the um, as chair of the fans forum, is, is, is where this process has got to, which we're, we're probably going to chat about a little today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so and in fact, now that you've mentioned that, right? So yeah, let, tell us a little bit about. I mean, we had the big news last week, right? That we're going to have the fan advisory board um, formed by the end of the season, right? So yeah, yeah, tell us a little bit about the announcement you made and what the club had to say about it.
3: Yeah, so um, just to, to to give you a a very pot of history on, on on how we got to this stage. Um, so on the back of um, six um, English teams uh, threatening to break away and, and form part of this European Super League, yeah. um, there's obviously massive. Um, fan outcry across the whole, uh, whole of them sort of uh, across the well, across the world really, um, really? for fans, two Premier League teams. Um, so um, this basically acted as the catalyst for the, the government-sponsored fund that revives football, um, and, and um, in, in effect, that is what kickstarted this process. Now, so um, um, Denise. Um, the, the the CEO for Everton um, emailed the whole fan base, asking for anybody who had any sort of strong feelings, whether that was to do with the European Super League, whether that was to do with the future of football, or anything Everton related, to get in touch with myself, um, and, and and sort of that, that kick started the process. So that happened. Um, a couple of weeks later, um, that was followed up by another email from myself um, via the club to, to get sort of the same distribution, um, and then we also carried out a, um, a series of workshops. So we did these with um, sort of Everton organisations um, mm. or groups that had, an, well, that obviously had an affiliation to Everton. So we had um, EDSA, the Disabled Sports Association, we had yeah. the Heritage Society, we had the Sports Club Committee, um, who in effect are the, the domestic voice for a mm. Sports Club. And We then had sort of three different um, international um, representation groups as well. So we had one for North America, we had one for Asia Pacific, we had one for Europe. Um, we also touched base with um, a um, all the associate members of the football sports association. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so in, in effect, like that, the nets was cast. There's one more as well. Um, obviously, yeah, the fans forum. Yeah, I'll forget forum, my yeah. own organisation. So, um, so 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 we, we carried out these sort of nine um, nine workshops, um, and and that in conjunction with um, all the, the sort of the email responses we got, um, provided us with a lot of detail. Um, and we used this detail sort of twofold. One. Um, to brief back to Denise in terms of um, the, the the future of football, what, what the current fan sentiment was, yeah. and then we also used that to submit to the um, to the official fan-led review on behalf of Evertonians. Yeah, nice. Um, nice. So so at that meeting when we presented it to Denise, um, she she then challenged um, myself and my guys as chair of the fans' forum to to go away and to, to to come back with a proposal for how effective fan representation at board level could look. So um that, that was obviously bigger than the forum. Um the, the the aim back in the day was to to turn this round relatively short order, so uh, three, two, three months essentially. So in order to to meet those timelines, um, I, I basically just turned around and said, Look, it, it's bigger than the forum. I'm gonna engage with these groups who have already got the contacts with so that we can try and turn something around. Um now Obviously nothing goes according to plan, yeah. <laughs> so this, this um, three months dragged on a little longer um, and in the end we, we got to a stage where just before Christmas we then um, proposed or propo- presented our recommendations to Everton um, and there's two clear recommendations. One was for fan directors um, at, board, um, at the board um, mm-hmm. who have equal voting rights and then also for the creation and recognition of a fan advisory board. Yeah. That, that would also um, provide another avenue for fans to, to speak directly to, to the Everton um, Football Club board. now we, we turned around and said that for both of these we want them to be in place for the start of next season nice, yeah. um, So then we we, um, we, we had a little bit to and fro and then we, we ended up meeting with the club again and sort the joint decision was well not joint decision the, the the way ahead was that the club will commit to um, fund um, attend board meetings. However, the process for that um, is, isn't for discussion at the moment, if you like. However, the club are prepared to, um, to, to, to see how this fan advisory board works and they also challenge us now to come up with um, formal terms of reference for this board and they also challenge us to advance it to the end of this season. Okay. Um, once that is in place, then it would be for the fan advisory board then to have the discussions with the club about how this season of board meetings takes place, what flavour it is how, um, and, and then the sort of makeup of that. So, so, in effect, that, that's where we've got to now. Um, the ESSG, um, it was the Everton Stakeholder Steering Group, um, which was this sort of coalition of nine um, organisations. And yeah. we're, we're at the stage now where we're fleshing out the detail of the terms of reference. And we're just about to sort of launch next month with a with sort of wider consultation so that all fans can have an opportunity to input to that as well. Yeah.
0: Just, just a question around, you know, the, the nine groups, right, that, that are forming yeah. the, 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 the supporters, uh, I guess the ESSG as such, right? Yeah. So I think, ob- obviously, so speaking from my own perspective, right, um, as an Evertonian who lives abroad, uh, a lot of my main interaction with the club and the supporters is online, right? And it also happens through my local supporters group, right? Like, so I'm, I'm part of the Boston Evertonians. Mm-hmm so a lot of what what i know or what's coming to me comes through that or through the the social media channels obviously um but as you were soliciting responses were you able to connect with the the match going fans because it seems like they they i i don't know if there's a disconnect here right because it seems like the the fans who go to the game right are the ones who are saying that they had not heard about a supporters group or they're not part of the fans forum and is there a gap there? Some thoughts on that.
3: So so it, it's, it, in in my mind, look, I'll, I'll totally take all the criticisms on board that we, as I explained a minute ago, we were trying to get this through in pretty quick time. So that's right. the reason why we didn't do massive um, public open consultation. But what, what I will say is that Denise emailed every Evertonian who's registered with the club. She did, yeah. Yep. Um, who, who Who had ticked the box to say, please send right. me emails. Yeah. I then followed that up two weeks later. So, so in a, in effect, every every fan, regardless of whether match going or not, yeah. got no, got in. Right. So, yeah. if, if they wanted to take the time to email back, their their feedback would have been um, taken in as well. Yeah. Um, the the when we originally presented back to Everton, that shaped the future of football survey that they released. Yep, and that that had ten thousand responses. So again, they emailed everybody on the on their database, and and they termed, so all ten thousand fans who responded to that survey has also had input. Yeah, absolutely. Because we've used them figures and then um, if you look at another avenue, we've also used sort of independent um, fan, um, fan site stuff as well. So at the end of every um, se- se- um, season, grand old team um, do uh, a, a one-week or a two-week-long survey and okay. 3,500 fans replied to that. And we, we, we took all that in as well now. We, it might not have been the ESSG who turned right. around and sent us this information, um, but that the information went to the forum, because at the time is the forum who was, who was leading the process. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm chair of the forum, and I'm also chair of DSSG. Um, so all the information that has been um, delivered, so in, in effect you can talk about 15,000, 20,000 people have had an input to this. have
0: had input.
3: And, 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 and also if, if you look at the, the forum, so the forum's role is the with um, for any Everton fan to, to come to with, with issues, um, yeah. to say well done, to say. This can be worked on better. We'd like to see this, that, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. every, every every fan can come to us. In addition to that, we have the supporters club committee, who I mentioned. And um, right. So they they're the voice for all the domestic supporters clubs. Yeah. So they if they if they raise it through a separate channel again to the forum, which they can do, they, yeah. they could go through their supporters club, which would then go to the sports club committee, and then that'll get brought up. But so I I, I accept that because the intent was to get this through relatively quickly Very quickly yeah. It, it didn't go as wide as it could have but that, that's when the areas we're trying to address now
0: no that that's and i did not mean that in any sort of criticism as at all jazz i, I think yeah. you guys have done great work i think just the circumstances of with, with covid going on and you know just the just the whole match going experience has been a little different obviously given the time and given um, I'm just going to say, normal circumstances, this could have been done a little differently, but I still think, under the circumstances, I, I, I think the work that you've produced, from what I've read of it, is, I, I think, is the best we could have done in those in those situ- in that situation. So, I again, not meant as any criticism at all. Oh,
3: so. and, and and it's not just my work. It's, it's well, yeah. there's a there's a, a BSSG, so there's nine sorts of um, reps on that. Right. It's it's all our work as well as every fund who's contributed.
0: Yeah, very good. So uh, you know just that kind of goes into the next question as well, right so with everton aspiring to be a global club right and we already have a fan base that's pretty well distributed all all over the world right so you know just both decisions right having a a, a vote bearing member on the board uh, when that happens and having the fan advisory board right what what does that mean for just you know just the average fan right because uh, I mean, like, is is it a more of a say? It is more of a say, right? Ha- having a fan at a board meeting is not the same as, uh, you know, having supporters attending AGMs, for example, right? I think being at the board meeting is, it's a lot more significant. So what does that mean for the fan?
3: Okay, so let, let's look at the first thing you mentioned, the general meeting. So yeah. the general meeting is, you could argue, a one-way conversation from the club to shareholders. It's not even to sure. the, the fan base. It's only to shareholders. Um, but I think I think at the moment to maybe around 2,000 shareholders. Right. Um I, I, I can't comment on the numbers who attend the normal general meeting, but obviously that that's um, it, it looks as though that's disappeared now anyway, in, in, yeah. in, in yeah. Um, recent conversations. Um and I, I just want to park the, the um the fan direct a bit because now that's sort of out of scope for what the SSG's work is. Sure. But but what, what I will say is now there's the CSSG, we, we proposed that there'll be 11 members. Um, the makeup of that is um, still to be decided. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, there's going to be um, at least quarterly meetings with board members, ideally okay. Denise, but if she's not about it, maybe somebody else. So what we can say now is when a, a lot of the fans are turning around saying they they don't understand what we're saying. If, if they come to the football and um, to, to the fans forum or sports club committee, etc., all these um, organizations operate at the um, operational level. Mm. So, as I said before, it'd be like Christine prior um, as the fanning agent manager um, going up to heads of departments to so the, the leadership team. Yeah. Now, that's that's the operational level. Right. But the strategic level, the bottom of the strategic level, would be the senior leadership team, and the top will obviously be the board. Mm. So, but the fact that this um, quarterly meeting will now take place representing fan voices it's going to go straight to the board so so potentially it could have been argued that before we even though we say things and that the club say we feed the feedback up and, and I've got no doubt that they do yeah but at least now it'll be straight in the horse's mouth that, that the fan representatives on this fan advisory board will be speaking directly to Denise so regardless of where about you are in the world the job or whatever else if all these common themes that that deserve and warrants elevating to strategic level,
0: yeah,
3: will be delivered cool. straight to the board.
0: Yeah, no, excellent. Um, and just out of curiosity, um, I guess how many other clubs in the Premier League have a similar uh, structure or even a representation? That so, you know?
3: um, so, so to be honest, not many. Um, yeah.
0: yeah so let, let, let's
3: let's talk about the um, Super League teams, okay? So, on East yeah. um, and Days, we've got Liverpool. Now Liverpool have created a fan advisory board. I, I'm not sure what they call it, but in effect, it's a fan advisory board.
0: Sure, um,
3: and that, that's going to have 16 spaces on it, mm-hmm. and of those, will go to Spirit of Shankly, who are the um, probably arguably the, the the most supported fan organisation that they have. Right. Do um, the six um, places? I think one goes to Disabled Sporters Association. Okay. One will go to a, a sort of um, a faith um, or a sort of minority um, ethnic minority and representation. Okay. Um, I think there's a couple of the um a couple of the other fan organizations, but in effect there's 16 in total. Um, okay. now Liverpool have committed that the chair of that organization will be able to attend board meetings only if there is a fan facing fan related issue being discussed on the agenda gotcha. of that meeting. Okay. So it's it's not they're not inviting it to every board meeting, but when there is a fan issue, the, the, the heads of this advisory board will at the time
2: okay.
3: um, if you look at uh, Manchester United and Arsenal now they've got a sort of similar approach so okay. they've got um, a membership which is mixed from fans as well as the club so um, I think it's a 7-4 split so 11 in total 7 on okay. um, reps for potentially club reps um, same for Man United it's co-chaired from a fan as well as the club uh, but in effect it's the makeup of that is, isn't entirely fans yeah yeah Um and, and that and the reps who are representing fans all come from fan groups. Mm. Um, Chelsea, Chelsea went down a sort of different avenue. Chelsea, um, they turned around and said, we're going to have um, board, um, non-executive directors in effect. Okay. So they went through an election process, I think it was a sort of tail end of last year, and they've identified three um, three fans who are who, who now directors in effect, who, who attend board meetings. Um, and then Tottenham as well. Tottenham turned around saying that they would do a fan advisory board um, and then the, the chair of that organisation would be a non-exec director, but they haven't released any sort of further info, certainly that I've seen since then. So these five other groups who have um, strived to improve fan representation at board level, and um, there's different ways of doing it. Um, however, all of them are um, sort of... The, the fans who are eligible to be part of these boards are part of formed groups already.
0: Okay, yeah
3: well if, if you look at how we're potentially um, well not how we're potentially going to do it but sort of different sort of different methods of doing it
0: mm-hmm. I
3: suppose you've got you've got two options you've got one um, where it goes to a sort of vote uh, where in effect anybody could apply um win the vote or top 11 people win the vote and they yeah. get it now um, if 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 that was the the process that got adopted you could argue that 11 individuals are speaking on behalf of the whole fan base Okay. Um, yeah. If you look at the other, if you look at the other end of the spectrum, you could have um, same similar model to what the other Premier League teams have done, where to be a member of the fan advisory board you need to be part of a group, and and I can understand that the benefits of that. It's speaking for one person is speaking on behalf of a right. hundred people, a thousand people, ten thousand people. So in effect, you still have eleven people um, at the at speaking to um, to board members at this fan advisory board meeting. However, the, the net the net is cast a lot further and wider. Um, so, nothing's off the table for us at the moment. Okay. If they're the two extremes, you say it may fall somewhere within the middle. Yeah. However, on the back of um, sort of discussions we're having and, and this sort of consultation that we're going to go ahead and do during February, that will give us a lot more evidence in terms of what the fan base are asking for that yeah. we can then look to include within the terms of reference.
0: Yeah, that, that's excellent. I'm glad you've benchmarked with, you know, again, some of the bigger Premier League clubs. If anything, it looks like. I guess we're behind, right? And that we need to catch up to what some of the other clubs are doing.
3: Yeah, but well, um, well, what I'd I also say on that point is you could argue the six teams had to do something because they turn around saying, we're going to leave. Um, without <laughs> yeah. speaking to the fans, the fans turn around. The fans of those six clubs turn around. What the they heck are you doing? do?
0: Well, absolutely. We, right.
3: we, we don't support leaving. We, we don't want to leave. So right. they were on the back foot and they had to go out and, and raise the other... Um, past the olive branch else and whatever else and, and try and, sure. um, and make ways in short order. Um, if, if you look at the outcomes of the fan led review and um, that Tracy Crouch MP did on behalf of the government, yeah. the formation of a mm-hmm. shadow board, a um, sports advisory board, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, was one of the recommendations, but realistically it's going to take two years to get legislated. Wow. So yeah. so the, the the fact that Everton are receptive to it, um, are looking to, to, to get it established straight away before yeah. it's legislated. And the head of any other team who, who didn't have bridges to build, it's, right. I, I, I'd argue that they they are in a good position and, and certainly the discussions I've been having with them that they seem receptive to it. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Good, good. So, uh, you know, people who listen to this uh, this podcast or, you know, readers of our site are very familiar with the fans forum because, you know, we've had yeah. Tony Sampson, you know, come by quite often and you know he gives us updates on what's been going on. Um, we obviously try to talk a lot about, you know, not just the footballing side of things, but overall Everton Football Club as an organization, what are we doing? Um, so, you know, again, just as a quick uh, sort of, uh, I, I guess, a blurb here, like what are some of the things that have come out of the fans forum, right? What, what are some projects that, you know, you would call, say personally, you'd think yeah, th- these are some of the highlights of my time at the fans forum?
3: Oh, wow, put me on the spot now. So um, to, to be honest, <laughs> I think, I think one of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that even during COVID, we have continued to meet monthly with the club. Now, yeah. a lot of the other, a lot of the other teams' representatives haven't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think we
3: we, we missed one meeting, and that was the March 19. March yeah. 21, but it's, it's literally at the very start of COVID, um, and that, and that was literally as the the government turned around and said, look, um, no more meeting, no more face to face, blah 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 blah. So we we missed one meeting, and since then yeah. we we have sort of continued to 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 sort of operate. Yeah. Um, in terms of the um, I, I don't know, let, let, let's look at the different groups we've got. So one of them um is match day experience, so that yeah. that encompasses atmosphere as well as catering. So, um, we've championed that local suppliers be used at Cudson Park. Um, and now obviously it still hasn't come to effect because of COVID and the fan zones being closed, but ultimately the process has gone through. Um, there's a, there's a community bakery called Home Baked, um, which is um, in the shadows of some monstrosity, not far from um, not far from Goodson Park, <laughs> but um, but it's it's a community bakery and it, it's there for the right reasons and and to be honest, the pies are pretty damn good as well. So so that, that the the process has gone through that they will now have a foothold um, a foothold within the uh, the fan zone. Um, if you look at um, the the offerings for fans with sort of dietary requirements. Um, we, we got to the stage where sort of gluten free, vegetarian, vegan, halal, nice. all, all yeah. these sorts of um, offerings were available um, within the concourses in the tea bar, um, so, and that was something that hadn't been done as well. Yeah. Um, if you look at retail, um, there's been a whole manner of, of, of sort of um, areas that were sort of managed to progress. Whether that's the the range of merchandise that's available, um, whether that's um, <clears throat> given some pretty strong constructive criticism back to the club. Um, in terms of um, some of the items, potentially may not may not have been of the greatest quality, and you know you know our kids like they they they'll live in their football kits. so if if, yeah. if if after one or two washers bits are coming off, then that's not great, is it? So no. we've been we've been working with the club, um, and and um, so it's we've also had sort of direct comments with Hummel um, and Fanatics as well. Um, obviously not forum activity, but through the sort of North American network um, and, and through Tony and Bridget and the likes who have been championing so hard as well. This is obviously the, um, this is the bespoke merchandise that, that you guys have got over there that, that seems to have gone down extremely well. Yeah. Um, what else have we got? So um, we've got staging group. So at the moment, um, Siobhan's heading up our staging group. And um, now that's only recently started, uh, sort of summer last year. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some, some of the members of the Forum were lucky enough to, to actually have a visit to, to Bramley Moor. Typically, I was um, I was working down south at the time, so I missed out on that. But <laughs> the, the, they go through the process of sort of capturing everything to do with the stage and move. Now, that could be Bramley Moor. That could be ensuring the Goodson yeah. legacy. So at, at Goodson Park, they have... Um, well, it's it's a living monument, isn't it? At the moment, there's mm-hmm. there's hundreds and thousands of people who, who've had their ashes spread over Goodson. There's Goodson granites. There's um then there's there's lots of things that that are in place at Goodison that that make it a sort of shrine and, and and sort of an area that sort of a lot of people want to go. So there's lots of areas to not of concern, but that we need to try and and see what the fans want to happen. So if you look at the Goodison granites, for example, yeah, keep the Goodison granites there, but make a replica that can be um, housed at Bramley Sure. You know what I mean, so there's, there's, there's lots of lots of different things that are going yeah. on in terms of uh, making sure that the goods and legacy, as well as the, the stage and move, are yeah. are aware of um, sort of fan issues. And, and, and you know what, a lot of these come through from our North American network. and um, if, if you look at how how established the NFL is, um, the NBA, uh, the NHL, yeah. and there's there's lots of sort of fan experiences that, that you see right. there. That that why wouldn't they be incorporated? Just before over. I was in. Um, I had like a multi-stop tour, uh, a trip to America. So a few days in New York, and then um, off yeah. to, to LA. And we went to a um, a Yankees game. Now okay. the amount of um, sort of plug-in USB chargers that are sort of incorporated into into sort of tables and whatever else. You know what I mean? The, the way things are going, I'd imagine that by the time we get to Brandy mall it's going to be probably hundred percent digital tickets maybe
0: it probably right yeah
3: but, and, and, and you know what like but we all but on social media all day we're listening to podcasts with with checking bet them um, score some other matches everything's right. going to kill the battery life isn't it so yeah it's just like little things like that that we can we, we see around and the feedback comes in and yeah. just highlighting all those sorts of areas as well
0: good good yeah i, I think the timing is perfect because um, and, and I'm even just thinking about the, the the trip to the U.S. last summer, right? I think the the engagement events that you know the the club organized with the supporters groups, I, I thought they were brilliant. I I think they they really really tried to replicate some of that you know that fan engagement, the fan experience that you know we were talking about in other established um, you know American sports, for example. Um, and, and obviously you know I think the the move to Bramley Moore has got to be exciting, right? I, I mean at this point the the Every Evertonian pretty much has uh, has an opportunity to to give some input to how that stadium is going to be, how that stadium, the match going experience is going to be. I you know I I gotta say whether Everton do stuff right or wrong on the pitch, the the whole stadium thing has has just been done in a very very um, organized, collected. uh I, I think it's been brilliant, right? I, you, just down to every single. Um, Thought about what are we doing with Goodison after we leave, right? And 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 usage of all the building facilities and usage of all the historical uh, memorabilia and everything at the dock. I, it, it, this is this has been I, this is definitely a, a case study in in how to do this, right? Right from the fan yeah. engagement, not even fan engagement, right from engagement with the locals, right, on on how to use yeah. that area. Yeah.
3: So so um, Richie, when. Um... When when Dan Mice was making his um his, his first was sort of phrase over here, it was, it was the forum who mm. um created and hosted the workshops. So there's a series okay. of six workshops at St. Luke's Church. and um, it just reminds me with another activity that we're being involved with. Yeah. Um, so, and so I mean so that the, the forum um, hosted these workshops, Dan came over, spoke to fans, um, and and, and knock them off limits. He, he wanted to make sure that that every every idea was, was considered. I mean I suppose that's what continuous improvement's about, isn't it? The yeah. have, have yeah, a range exactly. of people who, who would attend attending your workshops and because anybody might have this idea. Um and, and right outside uh, things, things just keep popping to my head. Um, right. <laughs> so right outside St. Luke's is the Holy Trinity statue. That yeah. was another forum project mm-hmm. that while I have been on there as well. So um yeah to, to, so that's just a, a, another example of um, activities that the, the forum can do they can go out right. ask us ask, ask what statues we want at bramley more um, yeah. Yeah. it's obviously two three years away and, and it's about that long we need to secure funding to um, then right. look at who, who statue is going to focus on look at sure. different designs go through the build yeah. process as well so so yeah lots lots and lots going on i
0: suppose yeah no definitely definitely a lot going on um what, what, what you know i'm going to bring up one last thing right obviously over the last uh I'd say a month or so, right? With, with how things have gone on in the football itself, right? Uh, the club seen some change. Um, obviously, uh, we've got a new manager, sounds like uh, coming in anytime now. Um, the transfer deadline uh, you know, window closes uh, tomorrow. So uh, the transfer window closes tomorrow. So uh, deadline day tends to be usually busy. So again, let's see what happens. Um, however, right? And then this is a bit of a difficult topic to bring up, right? Because we've seen some protests going on around the club. There's uh, there's obviously a lot of fans that are dissatisfied, and I, I think um, I I think I like the stance the ESSG has taken on this. That you know we, we are obviously all working towards the same goal, right? We want to see the club be better, right? Be better on the pitch, be better off the pitch. We want to be the best run football club in in the land and the world, whatever it might be, right? Um, we definitely want to see Everton live up to that you know the people's club moniker that it's it's had, right? So. Um, there was obviously some, some, some acts that were like, you know, widely condemned and should be right. There was some vandalism that happens, spray painting the walls of medicine. That's, that's sacrilege. I, you know, that is completely unacceptable. Right. So there's definitely a few rogue elements out there that are, that are taking matters in their own hands. They're, you know, taking away credibility from the entire group that's protesting. Right. Um, So again, the group that's protesting, I, I understand what they're asking for, right? I, I don't think it's very different in a lot of ways from what the fans forum or folks who have come up through the fans forum or even the ESSG are trying to do, right? So h- how do we unite as a fan base? I, I, is there a, a, a middle ground here we can all meet at? Or do we even need to unite as a fan base? I I, I believe so. That's That's almost a rhetorical question there. But... Um, I, I also understand there's there's only so much you can say from a formal level on this. So I I, I don't know. I'm giving you an open forum here to talk. To yeah, you. yeah.
3: And, and, and I'm going to try not to, to not to get myself in trouble. So um, <laughs> as as you, as you say, so there's um, like firstly in terms of the fans forum. So um, there's currently um, ten members, eleven members on there, ten members yeah. um, representing a broad church of fan opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Now
3: there's there's members who are for one protest for a different um, campaign for a different campaign um, against all campaigns so and and that's sort of reflected as well within the ssg so in terms of what i'm saying now Mm -hmm. the the, the fans forum and the ssg won't have a stance in terms of supporting or not supporting a campaign Yeah.
0: Um, yeah
3: however the one thing that Um, So the the three campaigns that I'm aware of are uh, mostly the 27, there's the originals, and then there's the People's Club as well. Um, Two of them um, seem to be a a little bit more aligned than than the third one. Um, However, regardless of a campaign, there's any fan, any club employee, anyone involved with any of these campaigns, as you said before, have all got two common aims. One, we want the best evidence we can have. Yeah, and two, we want the best experience with Evertonians. Sure. So, um, so obviously yesterday the um, the, the twenty seven went out with a a um, sort of a list of values. Uh, look, I'm I'm, I'm an ex military man. I spent twenty four years in the army, and he just got out just just over a year ago. So I'm, I'm I've got like values and standards and sort of insti- I like to think that instilled in everything that I do. But ultimately, if you if you bring it all back to, to one statement, it's treat people how you want to be treated. Yeah. absolutely if you don't want someone to come and spray paint your house, don't go and spray paint someone else's. If you want somebody to speak to you um, sort of politely, speak to somebody else politely you know, and pay it forward almost instead of um, receiving it. So I think that, in, I, I don't know, i sort of skirted around a bit like a politician there. But no, that's, I, I that, that's fair.
0: I, again, yeah, I, I, I think everyone understands the, the situation, right? Um, uh, I don't think anyone is calling for mass riots, right? I, you might feel it, but I don't think that's necessary. That's not the way to address this situation, right? So yeah. yeah, no, that's that's perfectly fine. Again, we 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 would prefer that you be honest. <laughs> so that, I yeah. think that that that's I think that's what we're trying to go here. But, yeah. So Jazz, I, that's all I had from my questions. Uh, is there any anything else you want to talk about? You know, while we have you on the phone here, right? Obviously, you can um, but- talk about the football itself if you'd like.
3: Maybe a bit of a shameless promotion. I, I that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. So, uh, so the ESSG um, has a sort of Twitter handle at ESSG1878. And um, obviously, DMs are open, so please do send them through. And um, we also have an email address, um, ESSG1878 at gmail.com. And we also have a website as well. So, you can get bored of this now ESSG1878.info. Um, okay, so there's sort of three channels for uh, the ESSG. Um, please do. Um, keep an eye out and, and, and see when the consultation is going forward because if we, we'll, we'll be pushing it as, as hard as we can yeah. Um. so hopefully um, everybody listening does, does pick up wind of where like, we are basically looking at three weeks in February that's when the consultation will be happening so the, the, the more people who, who can contribute to that system will sort of relate one of the criticism we had in the sort of first phase I suppose where people weren't aware or didn't know how to contribute yeah. Um, so yeah and then um. Potentially also on the, the fans forum as well. So um if anybody does have any issues, obviously some of the international audience, so let's and let, let's get in touch with Tony. Tony.Sampson um, at fan, fansforum.com. Um, and, and let's 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 put out a bit of email traffic his way as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, yeah. And so we'll have all the ESSG contact information uh, on the post where we have this, or just go over to Royal Blue Mersey. Uh, obviously follow us on the social medias and you know you know you'll see us, we follow ESSG and we'll We'll link them to any posts uh, regarding uh, this podcast. So, um, Jazz, again, thank you so much for your time. really appreciate you stopping by and, you know, telling us a little bit about the great work you guys have been doing. And, uh, again, uh, you know, we hope for the best out of here. And, uh, you know, up to toffees, right? I'm
3: right, yeah, up to toffees. All
1: right, we're back and uh, talking about uh, the Brentford and Newcastle matches. Uh, thanks again to Jazz Bow for coming on and really giving us um, some, some of his time to talk about all this stuff because it is important stuff, and we do want to get that out to the fans and, and as they do want to let the fans know that there is is a place for them to go um, and 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 you know let them know some of the things the club is doing and the state of the club and you know where we're headed now. Yeah. And, um, we're we're going to get a real good look at that and where we're headed uh, as we as we approach this weekend um, and early next week. Everton have three games over the next um, – o- over seven days. They play against Brentford this weekend in the FA Cup. Tuesday they'll take on Newcastle, and then the next Saturday the, – the Saturday after they'll take on Leeds. But we are only going to talk about the two – first two matches there, Brentford and uh, Leeds. Let's get into Brentford first. Um, news that came out just after we started recording, Thomas Frank looks like he has COVID. Uh, so it looks like he might miss the match. Um, this He might miss the match this weekend. Um, that's uh, reports that I'm, I'm seeing now uh, just popped up on my phone. So um, just something to keep note of there. Other than that, Brentford are um, – let me just pull it up here. Brentford currently sit in 14th place, just a couple places above Everton – um on 23 points four points above us but again this is the fa cup um they've also played three more matches than we have so that also factors into that as well um in terms of brentford we did lose to them earlier this season one nothing um back in november uh right in the midst of everything going downhill um You know, it was, this will only be the third meeting in the last 68 years between Everton and Brentford, but it is the second season, as I just mentioned, um, this will be the first time Brentford visit Everton, um, in any competition since 1954, uh, when, um, Everton won six, one, uh, with both sides in the second tier back then, um, yeah. And in that key, in that season, uh, Everton were also promoted. Brentford actually relegated that season. Everton are looking to reach round five of the FA Cup in consecutive seasons for the first time since 2013, 2014. Um, they had done that four years in a row at that point. Um, you know, again, last year we had that great run, and um, you know, hoping to replicate that again this year. Brentford have failed to progress, on the other hand, um, from four of their last five FA Cup ties at the fourth-round stage, only beating non-league Barnett in 2018-2019 during that spell. Um, Other than that, they've fallen in the last five uh, FA Cup campaigns. Um, And that's about it, because this last comment here is about – this last note here is about Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and we will mention, as we think we've already mentioned already – Dominic Calverley not available for uh, this match. It looks like it looks like he's a huge doubt for Brentford and most likely a doubt for Newcastle as well. Um, so as well. it will things will be changed up a little bit. Again, Deli Ali, El Ghazi, Donny Van de Beek all unavailable for this match. With that said, and with that thought in mind, what is your projected lineup? How do you think we line up in Frank Lampard's first match as manager of the club?
2: yeah uh, again i think between the injuries and uh and and obviously the cup tied situation i think the lineup pretty much picks itself right so you know richarlison's got to start up top right uh, i i i don't think frank lampard's gonna you know put um salomon Rondon up up, up top there right? that just doesn't make sense um Rondon, not even after in fact, the <laughs> believe it or not not even after that, trick like, Jeez. If anything, that's probably now that's him tired and gassed for the remaining like next two weeks or something. <laughs> but um I don't know. man maybe maybe if we're behind in this game and since being it's a cup game, right? You need to throw bodies on late on to find an equalizer, sure, you know, do it then. But no, richarlison has gotta start. This one, Richardson's hungry, he's gotta start. Um and 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 you know, I, I think Gordon and Gray have to start, right? Um uh, uh, the, the the game that Ferguson uh, Big Dunk was in charge, right? And he benched uh, Gordon, and that really did not make sense. And as soon as Gordon came on in the what, second half, he immediately made a difference, and Everton immediately got a lot more dangerous. And I think that just told us everything we needed to know that Gordon and Gray have to start. Um, so I think for me, the lineup's got to be it, it's got to be a four three three. It's got to be Gordon and and Gray starting uh, out wide. Allison up top, um, and then it's a matter of who's fit enough, right? So Alan's fit, Gomez is fit, so the two of them got to start. We got to find a third midfielder. I do not see Frank Lampard in his first game at Goodison being a cup game going with a two-man midfield. It's, I just simply do not see him doing it. So that leaves that next midfield slot open, and I think what he's going to end up doing is I think he's going to have Townsend play in the middle. Uh, it's, it's something, you know, I think even Rafa tried to do once or twice when he had uh, Townsend play more like a number 10 role. I, I don't think Townsend's going to be really a number 10. I think he's going to be more of a, probably take the right side of midfield and, uh, and then Gomes on the left uh, with Alan mopping up behind him. And then as far as the, if, all the midf- if all the defenses fit, um, you know, the, the, this is the time, right? Absolutely. Put Mikalenko in, put Patterson on. And, uh, and then have maybe some experience in the back line, right? So maybe Mina and, uh, uh, this is the challenge though, right? Jeez, what do you do with Godfrey then, right? Does, does Godfrey play in the middle? Does he play out wide? Um, I, I'd like to see Godfrey play with Mina in the middle. Um, I, I think they have the right level of physicality there. Uh, I think Michael Keane uh, has had a miserable time for the last couple of months. I, I think his extended break should probably continue. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be it. If we pick for it in the back, Nina um, and Godfrey in front of him, uh, Patterson, Nikolenko out wide, and get those guys bombing up and down and then get some crosses into the box. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, listen, I, I, the most important thing right now is going to be the league. That is the most important thing we have to worry about right now. So, I, I think, right. you know, whether Patterson has had minutes – at all, or Mike Lenko's, you know, a little bit raw and whatnot. Like, I think you have to take the chances of playing those guys and getting those guys some minutes in a, in a game, in a competitive game against a Premier League club and seeing what they can do, especially yeah. in Frank's uh, first um, – in Lampard's first uh, match with the club. I think that that's important. Yeah. Um, other than that, I think you're, you're probably right. Other than, you know, in, if, he, if he's going with Richarlison up top, you got to go with Gray on one side and, and Gordon on the other side. Gray's really the only other person that can take on that 10 roll, but you're not going to put. I don't think you'll put. I think you'd rather have Townsend in the 10 roll and Gray and Gordon on the outsides. Um, it's going to be yeah. probably Gomez and Allen in the middle. Um, and then, yeah. like you said, I think across the back line, it's probably Nina and Godfrey. I think you need to worry about dealing with Ivan Tony because um, I believe, is he yeah. still. He's, I forget, he had some stuff going on before the international break, but I believe he will be available and ready to go for this match. So I think he
2: um, is, yeah. Um,
1: so you have to worry about him. Um, you also, you know, the third midfielder, you need a third midfielder, I think, to worry about Embuimo or Embuema or however you pronounce his name. I think he's one yep, of those players yep. who tends to kind of drift into those spots in the, you know, towards the top of the box. So that's something you got to worry about. Um, but I think that, that if you go with that lineup, it probably should be enough to get it done. Again, if it's not enough to get it done, it, it's okay. We, you know, you have to think about it this way. I, I think, you know, I, I don't know about you, Calvin, but I can't see the defense and the, the midfield that we have kind of shaping it together without the ability to play El Ghazi or Deli Ali or Bandabique throughout the rest of this tournament. I don't know if there's really yeah. a shot that Everton have of you know and I hate saying this but it seems like a long shot mm-hmm. that Everton are able That's to right. win up, I think without the right. ability of having yep. the players that they've brought in to shore up th- those midfield roles um and with the right. that they currently have um you know who knows anything can happen but again the most important thing for me and I think for everyone should be and is the league you need to make sure you just get yourself out of relegation trouble absolutely and finish out strong you know even if you know it doesn't have to be dominating through the last half of the season but it has to be enough and and then you can build on that i think lampard said that in his com- his press conference too you know it's hard not to look forward yeah. to the future and what what how what you know the future of the club has ahead of them but the next six months are really the key right now and then you can start looking at the future exactly. so exactly um, you know that's the most important thing. Um, how do Everton win this match? We uh, you know what what's the keys to breaking down Brentford and and um, and beating them in this one.
2: Yeah. So you know, I, I think one of the things I like about Brentford is you know they, they don't they like other promoted sides. They don't necessarily come up to the Premier League and then play to survive. Right. They they don't pack their defense. Part of us um they, they they like to play on the front foot and which which makes for interesting football um uh, i i will say um as miserable as we were um they they were fortunate to get a penalty to beat us in the league game right so uh, i i i i i think if uh, if if lampard can put our best players in their positions to succeed then this should not be a problem this weekend right so uh, as long as the 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 front three of Richardson, Gray, and Gordon all get to play their game and get to play like they normally do, I, I again not concerned uh, that we will certainly get chances. Right, so I think that's going to be the key there. Right, will we create chances? We should we should be able to create enough chances. Um, should will we be able to finish? I think that that's the key there. And then on the defense, right, uh, again, uh, hopefully Lampard gotten them working on set-pitch defending because that is, is still a problem, right? Even under Big Dunk in that one game against Villa, how did we concede a goal? Buendia, the smallest player on the pitch, nips in, gets a header, and it's a goal. It's like, come on, guys! I mean, at this point, this, this is this is, this is is just a, some sort of nightmare reel that just keeps playing over and over again. So, uh that that that's got to get addressed so i think as long as we stop conceding silly free kicks from dangerous positions and then actually do a good job picking up the the first man at the ball for a set piece and, uh, and and in fact what's what's really interesting is the the goal that buendia scored i don't think he was actually trying to score it looked like he was trying to head it on to the back post for a couple of villa players to attack so that that that's the strategy that has really worked against Everton has been that second man on the ball from a set piece, right? So yeah. when the ball played on into a dangerous area, and when you have lead-footed players like Michael Keane in the box who you know do not have the reaction speed, then then it's more often than not ends up and ball ends up in the back of our net. So that that's the piece that I think, um, as long as Lampard's worked on that, I think we should be fine.
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, again, set-piece is very important. Obviously, the training videos have come out. We've seen – I would expect Everton to control a lot of the possession in this match. I would expect them to control the ball. I think that's what, you know, the the big quote that came out of those training sessions, enjoy the ball, enjoy the ball. I think that was, you know, what everyone, you know, heard from that. And I think you should expect to see Everton control a lot of the possession in this match the problem is you know again when the ball does switch over it's getting back on defense not letting anything get through it again like you said not committing those silly fouls in dangerous areas um you know i unfortunately right. set piece defending isn't going to change overnight um i think having Yerimina no. on the pitch is going to help or will help i think that does help absolutely um,
0: but
1: you know yeah. it, 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 you know if we again Goals for this match. Don't concede in the first half. Don't concede a set-piece goal. Yeah. That would, if we do the, both of those things, <laughs> win or lose, I think if I'd If we be do
2: happy. those things, we should win this game.
1: Yeah, you should win You're this right. game. And I'd be very happy if those things were, were you know, <laughs> what happened. But, um, yeah, so I, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think you have to... You're going to have to break them down a bit, which is, again, going to be difficult without the two midfielders that we brought in specifically to be part of that and without Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, but I think you're going nice. to see a possession-based game, and I think you're going to have to, um, you know, play in behind the defense and hope Richarlison gets on the end of one or Gray gets on the end of one in a good spot and sinks it in the back of the net. I think, you know. I mean, we might as well go into predictions right now. We you know, probably shouldn't spend too much time on each game, being that we're going over two games and running kind of long again here. But um, for me, my prediction probably, yeah. you know, if they do those things, it'll be 2 nothing, 2-1, something like that, I think. Um, you know, I don't, I'd don't. probably say 2-1 Everton purely on the fact that I expect us still to give up a goal. I don't, you know, I'm, unless, you know, Frank's got a magic <laughs> wand over yeah. there. I expect us to concede. But, um <laughs> But I think it will be a good start. I think we're going to see a lot of possession, and I, you know, I think we're going to see, you know, it's just going to be a question of us breaking them down. Uh, Prediction from you on what this is going to be like.
2: So uh, I don't know. Call it blind Evertonian optimism. New manager. I think the crowd's going to be pumped. I think it's going to be a full house. Um, I, I thought it was interesting Brentford didn't even use their whole ticket allocation. I think they returned like 600 tickets to everything. Yes, yeah. um, so again, I think, I think that new manager bounce, I think Goodison's going to be rocking. I think just the, it's going to be loud. It's going to be all of those things. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this one. I'd say three, one, I think we jump into a lead actually pretty early and um, I, I don't think Brentford really threatened us at all in this game. I'd say three, one.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, in those 600 tickets, I think Everton are reallocating for Everton fans to be able to use, um, which I thought was, was, yeah. uh, was a good thing as well. Um, so, um, like you said, this is, this is the first match in um, all year that we've actually had a, the stadium behind a manager, I think, when going into the match. I mean, coming from, you know, when we started the season <laughs> right. under Rafa, I'm not sure that the entire stadium was behind him. And listen, there's going to be people who aren't behind him. Lampard but I think the majority of fans are going to be behind him and I think they are behind him and I think
0: yeah, yeah that, I think that, so that,
2: yeah
1: yeah hopefully that new manager bump helps here um let's break off now into Newcastle that is um taking place Tuesday at 2:45 p.m. um I have to check but I'm pretty sure the Newcastle game is being played at home right or is that at, oh no it's at St James uh Square. yeah it's at St James No Square. I think we're Square. away
2: for that one yeah
1: yep um Newcastle on 15 points. They're currently in the bottom three in the relegation zone there. They have played one more match than us, but they still sit four points behind us. An absolutely pivotal match, really. And and Frank Lampard comes in here and, and unfortunately for him, kind of like got to get right to work. Have to – you know. thankfully he gets that one match buffer of kind of if you lose, it's not the end of the world type of situation with the FA Cup where you get to see some of these players – but this match against Newcastle is, you know, baptism by fire. You're going to have to get out there and you must-win game right away. Um, Everton, they played Newcastle already this season, correct? Yes or no? They had the, or, sorry, they had one of their they had the Newcastle game postponed. So we have not played Newcastle yet this season. Postponed, right? Um, so this is the first look we'll get at them, um, and the first look they'll get at us. Obviously, all the signings will now be available for us. With that being said, yep. give me your projected lineup for this one.
2: So for Newcastle, again, assuming everyone come, comes through the Saturday game, you know, without without any injuries or anything else and everyone's still fit, um, still don't expect Dom to be back for this one. So I, I'd say I I, I I see the similar in that sense, right? Uh, I think you still have Richarlison's start up top. Um, and then, you know, I think Gray's got to start. Uh, maybe, maybe Gordon sits for this one and maybe uh, Townsend starts out on the right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the midfield is, is where we see it, right? I, I think now, you know, Frank Lampard gets to, to play his dream midfield here of Alain and Donny van der Beek and Delali. And I think that's, that, that's got to be how we start against Newcastle. Um, I think it's going to be interesting against Newcastle. Like, let's finish the formation. Let's talk about Newcastle later. But, and then defense, again, we've got to play our best defense, right? So I, I think Coleman comes back in. Um, Mina, if he's fit, Mina has to play again. Uh, I think Godfrey goes out left. And maybe Michael Keane comes back into the middle on this one. Because, again, Newcastle is going to throw everything at us. Um, you know, they, they won their last league game against Leeds. So they're climbing up the table and they're going to be looking at us. As an attainable, you know, sort of opponents to beat. So uh, we 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 got to beat them, and we got to beat them early in the game. Yeah,
1: yeah um, definitely. I think we definitely got to go with the, the the starting defense purely because you know, St. Maxim on the, that so that left side is going to be um, a difficult task for. I think even after you know, I know Patterson is capable, but throwing him right into that even just after one match is 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 a lot to ask for, and you're given. If you play Patterson much, yeah. on Saturday, you're giving him a break against. Um, you're giving Coleman a break break on Saturday, so I think um, you go right. back to Coleman on the right side. Um, depending on how they play, I would you know would argue that maybe we go with um, Godfrey and Mina in the middle again. Uh, if that's what we choose to go, or you know whatever the center back pairing is on on Saturday, if they play well, then maybe go back to that. I think. Yes, yeah. even a possibility that you go to. You know, maybe like I think you mentioned Keen and Mean in the middle and Godfrey out left. Um, but I think you're going yeah. to see that dream midfield. I think you're going to see Deli Ali. I, I would expect to see Deli Ali, Donnie van de Beek, and Allen in the middle. I would expect to probably still be without Richarlison. So I would expect Gray out wide, um, Gordon out on the other side, and Richarlison up top. Um, and yeah. Pickford in net. I, I think that's probably what you're going to get if Calvert Lewin is healthy. For some reason, he is good to go um, that, that quickly. Um, then I would expect to see him up front with Charleston on the left side, Damari Gray on the right side and Deli right. in the middle. Um, Gordon shifted to the bench. I' would say so. But that's the beauty of the options. Um, what is the issues that and when I know, I mentioned say Maxim, but um, some of the issues that, that Newcastle present in this game?
2: Yeah, so, you know, well, I think two of the teams that really did a lot of uh, interesting work over January are Everton and Newcastle. So it's, uh, I think it, it's going to be a, a good look at both teams at all the new boys they signed, right? So uh, I, I think Newcastle, uh, you know, obviously they're flush with cash now, so they were ready and willing to spend on anyone that was interested in going to that part of England and uh, yeah. so you know I, I think Bruno Guimarish uh, their, their defensive midfielder they defined I think he's an excellent excellent footballer. Um, they, they really have someone in him. Uh, I again whether he's going to make that switch to England or the Premier League as quickly uh, as some other players have don't know quite yet uh, but I think he is he is a really really good footballer and um, if he does play this one, um i i think he's 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 going he's going to be he's going to have an impact in this game right he's, uh, he's he's probably the kind of defensive midfielder that we should be looking for come the summer um with anyhow in New, at newcastle right i think they're playing a lot they're, they're playing a lot freer they're playing a lot more aggressively i think they're going to be in a 433 as well um so they are you know i think formation for formation i think we're really going to match up with them um in, Exactly. So it's going to come down to being, you know, beating like each player has got to be better than the other player at that position. Right. Um, they, they're definitely still weak. I think John Joe Shelby being their key man in the middle, pulling all the strings. Uh, I, I think there's, there's definitely weakness there we can take advantage of um, again in a four, three, three system where Shelby is playing as their you know central sort of midfielder. Um, I would love to see Del Ali go at Jones or Shelby because I think he's going to run rings around that boy. (laughs) So I think that, that, I think that's, that's where that game could be won or lost for us. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah. But again, I think defensively, defensively, we got to watch out, right? I, I think St. Maximin, like you said, if he, if he's on his day, I, I you know I, I think he's like he's maybe maybe better than Richarlison just because he's stronger on the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so if 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 Nachman's shown showing up to play, then I, we we might be in trouble. And he seems to play really really well when the Saint James Park crowd is you know urging him on. So uh, I think we could be in for a for for a barn burner, right? Um yeah. you know, neither side's necessarily playing great defense. So yeah. uh a four three score on that one is not not out of the question.
1: Yeah, I mean it's um it's gonna be an interesting game. Obviously, St. Maxim presents some challenges. I think the possibility of Chris Wood being in the middle there might present a challenge uh if they do decide to go big uh with Chris Wood up top there. Yeah. Um they did bring in a couple of outside backs and Matt, Matt Target and Kieran Trippier, which will be, you know, I'm yeah. sure they'll be involved in the attack. I don't know much about their defensive midfielder, Bruno Guimardes from Lyon, uh, Leon, yeah. um, but that was their biggest transfer. Um, so I'm sure he will be in there. Um, so I'm sure we'll see a lot of their their new players in this match, and and they seem to have brought in a lot of players who can bring a lot to, to their attack. Um So it's going to be a significantly different side than we saw new than we've seen Newcastle, um, you know, even just watching them over the course of this season. Um, I I think, you know, Dan Byrne at center back might even come in as well, you know, so they're going to be, I think they're going to have some size to them, but I think you're right. I think Deli Ali in the middle there run, you know, with John Joe Shelby, I think that could cause, I, I don't know if, if, bruno That's a mismatch. Over. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if Bruno this um, this uh, Bruno takes over for John Joe Shelby in the midfield. There, maybe that's what happens. But, um, but yeah. yeah. I mean, listen. What do we say all the time? These these battles are won and lost in the midfield, and I think that's going to be the case again today, and uh, or a case again in this one. Right. I think that Everton's wide players, um, you know, I, I think that they can. You know, if they might have to. You know, whoever's on that right side. Might, might attack target more than they attack Trippier. Um, but I think you can get him behind Trippier sure. because Trippier will be pushing forward. He's very attack-minded, of course. So, um, you know, getting
2: in behind is. Yeah. Be an
1: option and then playing in behind and then, and then getting the ball into the box. Um, but again, like you said, you know, battles, you know, it's going to be won and lost in the midfield. It's going to be probably a barn burner. Can't imagine, you know, they've got different <laughs> players coming on defense. We've got a new coach that is trying to coach the defense together. So Um, you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting, what what do you see? What do you see in this one? How do you see this one playing out?
2: Yeah, I, I think once again, it's going to come down to our defense, right? As long as we don't ship an early goal, I, I, I think we'll be in this game. Um, again, the St. James Park, I think the crowd, it, 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 it's, it's a lot like the Goodison Park crowd when they're in full voice. It, it really gets interesting. It's going to be a challenging atmosphere to play in. Um, I'm thinking 2-2 on this one. I, you know, I, I don't necessarily see us winning this one. Um, I think there's the issues that were in this team still exist. Um, defensively, anyway, um, I again, I I don't see us not scoring, right? I I think that I think that that's the one thing that's getting resolved here, so I, I think it'll be a pretty even game. I think both teams will throw everything they have at the at the other team just because of their position in the table, right? So Newcastle's really going to go all out, um, but yeah, I think I see a two-two there.
1: Yeah, I I can see. I saw a tie as well. I think I think two-two, one-one, something like that would be it. Um, probably more like two-two, just because again we said the defenses probably won't be as great um, in this one. Uh, if you weren't a point here, though, that's good. You, you can't lose the match. That's, that's not most the worst thing. thing. Is you can't lose the match. You can't lose ground right. on Newcastle. Again, we do have a game up on yeah. them in the in terms of a game in hand. And just you know, right. a note for a note for the rest of you know as we look at the relegation battle and, and us being down there in 16th place we have a game in hand, at least one game in hand over everybody, but Watford who were even with on games um, who sit five points back of us in 19th and Burnley, who we have yep. two more games than um, who were seven points above, but I believe one of the games that, well, Burnley's missed so many games, but we do play Burnley. I think we had a match postponed against. We Burnley, do, which we, yeah. we will play them as well. And, and without Chris Wood and with someone, you know, losing him, you know, I, I can't imagine Burnley. I mean, I, I don't know. It's a team that in my head we should <laughs> be done. But other than that, even you yeah. know, if you look above, everybody threw up through. You know, we have the second least games played as, as of right now um, to the rest of the table. Right. The only players who the only teams who have played equal or less than us are Tottenham at twenty, Leicester at twenty, um, as I mentioned, Watford at twenty, and Burnley at eighteen. So um yeah. there's a lot of games to play here you know we have uh um, in
2: fact uh Watford and Burnley are actually playing this weekend too because yes. they're both out of the FA Cup so that that'll actually reduce those numbers of games Correct. on them yeah. by one too yeah
1: yeah true true so yes that is that is, is true as well so really after this weekend if you know Watford happen to win or hopefully I mean hopefully ideally after today I think it's today the game is um if they happen to win then Uh, or hopefully they happen to tie, and then nobody gains really any points. uh, Yeah, the
2: the, the draw, any time relegation teams are involved or teams around us are involved, I think the draw is the best best results we can hope for. That just keeps everyone level, yeah.
1: Yeah, Um, but yes, so that's the situation we have at hand right now. Um, I guess it's a good thing for us that we have, you know, over half, we haven't even, played half of our games this season yet because nine, or excuse me, we played just over half of our games this season. Just over Um, half. Yeah. So, um, you know, still so much time left to make up here and, um, you know, it's a, you know, good spot to be in and hopefully things will, will progress in the right direction over, over the next, you know, week and when we talk to you guys next, um, anything else to add? No, I
2: think, yeah, excited for sort of a new era. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, same, absolutely. Um to you guys out there, thank you as always for um for listening, following, subscribing. Please keep doing that. Keep downloading the episodes. We appreciate all the support. Um Calvin, thank you as always for joining me. Appreciate it. Yeah, no um, problem. Man. Yeah, and to you guys out there, just, you know, uh we'll be back in a week hopefully discussing two victories. Um, you know, <laughs> but we will be back either way. So Uh, Again, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time.